Welcome to Immigrants' Journeys. Imagine leaving your home country to settle on a foreign land. What would that feel like? How would you make the transition? And how might that experience change you? The guests on this show share their perspectives and opinions related to their immigrant journeys. Listen to find out what challenges they overcame and how they made the transition. In this episode, Jorge, an aspiring physician in his residency, leaves the Dominican Republic in his early 20s for the United States just after having completed med school. Jorge's parents worked hard and blessed him by helping pay for med school, resulting in no student loan debt. This, along with several other key decisions, led Jorge to become one of the youngest physicians in residency in a rural Louisiana hospital. During our conversation, when I asked Jorge about music, he talked about a song called El Niagara en Bicicleta by Juan Luis Guerra, translated as The Niagara on a Bicycle. The song talks about how the healthcare system is crumbling. On the surface, it's hard to imagine that this song addresses such a heavy topic, given its upbeat and carefree sound. Jorge mentioned that this song captures part of the spirit of the Dominican Republic, that although things might be less than optimal or ideal around you, there can still be joy, there can still be music, there can still be dancing. To learn more about this show, visit www.immigrantsjourneys.fm. Now, let's listen to Jorge's Immigrant Journey. Jorge, welcome to the show. Bienvenido. Thank you. Thank you. You're from the Dominican Republic. Is that right? Yes. How old were you when you came to the United States? When I got here, I was 23 years old. Yeah. So it's been seven years already. Feels like a long time. <laughs> yeah. It's a whole different world. I'm sure we'll get into it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely was a big change. Yeah. Tell me what it was like growing up in the Dominican Republic. Growing up in the Dominican, well, I can tell you that I don't know if my version of what living in the DR is for what many people is. My mom is Dominican and my dad is from Spain. So I have like a different kind of cultural background from one side of the family, at least. And I don't know, I can tell you that you grow up with a lot of things that I think a lot of things have also changed over time, but I kind of come from a mid to high income level family. What I remember as a kid, you know, mainly just spending a lot of time with family. That's like a big thing in the Dominican, I think in Latin American countries, most of the memories that I have are like, you know, pretty much playing around as a kid with my brother and my sister but a lot of things that i remember is you know we have issues with like blackouts sometimes you'd be like forced to kind of play outside because there's really not a lot to do when you're at home i remember like to play video games sometimes but i did spend a lot of time like either playing with things uh, or outside or running around i guess with school i don't know how that is really different from here, I, I really never had that experience. 
And I don't know, just like a lot of hard work from my parents, they had to sacrifice a lot of time to really put the family through. And luckily because of their effort, like we're me and my sister, and my brother, we made it and you know, we're in a really good position right now today. So it's something that we really appreciate. What it speaks about how his father, also an immigrant, tried to maintain ties to his homeland of Spain. We always kind of kept in touch with his side of the family in some way, like either by phone, we used to write mail, just like handwriting letters and send out. My dad was big on trying to do that like several times a year, which is something that I've lost. But we used to visit my grandparents and his brothers, sisters in space to go at least once a year for like summer vacations and spend a few weeks there, which was a good way to kind of reconnect and know about that part of the family. Growing up with a mixed cultural heritage myself, I wanted to hear how Jorge's experience compared to my own. My dad being Spanish, he did have a lot of influence in kind of how we were raised and the things we ate at home and just, I feel like keeping in touch with that side of the family and visiting because we used to visit and not just that the city where my grandparents lived, but also kind of trying to do like some road trips around the country and just see different things. So being exposed to that, and obviously there's like a big Spanish community in the Dominican Republic and just meeting up with family, friends and relatives and people that my parents knew from way back also had like Spanish roots and we were always in that environment. So I think I got like a pretty good mix of both things. And I had friends even in middle school, high school, who also had like a background, like a Spanish background. And there was some familiarity to that. And even like some friends that, that were from the same city. So at some point, like we even got in touch with like a friend that I had in middle school, like his family was from Leon as well. And sometimes we used to visit like his family there. My brother's godfather is from Spain as well. And, you know, we kind of visiting his family in like a smaller town in Spain, like rural areas. Growing up speaking Cuban Spanish at home, I remember the first time I heard someone speaking Spanish with a Spanish accent. Does that make sense? It was like being American and hearing someone from England speaking English. So I had to ask Jorge if he felt that he had a Spanish accent, even though he grew up in the Dominican Republic. I'm a full-blown Dominican, I think. <laughs> it's funny because like a lot of people with the Dominican accent have difficulty sometimes understanding, I'm sure like Cuban and other American countries, we have like our own words that we kind of make up or like slang and different accents. We kind of cut off words and stuff. A lot of people find it really funny and some people just don't understand what you're saying. You have to like repeat it again. But I felt like I sometimes slur when I speak. So it's funny to be around that. When I first moved to the States, I first arrived to Miami. I lived there for three years and like Cuban accent to me is like hilarious and Puerto Rican as well. I mean, I really enjoy that kind of cultural exchange, even though we all kind of have a Latin root, it is different. Miami is a global melting pot. Having worked there, I shared some observations with Jorge and how I felt in different settings. When I was in a group of folks from Latin America, a lot of nuanced differences came up in language, music, food, etc. However, when I was in a group of folks from Latin America and the U.S., 
those differences seemed to melt away and we became more similar than different. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I think we do have a lot of similarities. Like you said, if we are in like a small land group or get together or something, we do have a lot of things in common, but like some differences, but certainly there's a noticeable difference when we are like hanging out like Americans and I guess Latin Americans. Sometimes it, it may be a little awkward. I, I feel like we can't help like not talking in Spanish sometimes or saying some things that would only make sense in Spanish. I feel bad because some Americans who don't speak Spanish may be around and you know, you're speaking a different language. They don't understand anything and you try to explain some things, but it just doesn't make sense. Sometimes like I've had people like, oh, teach me something in Spanish or whatever, or they're trying to understand a song like reggaeton, for example, like who knows sometimes what they're saying and, and like, I, I don't even know what they're saying, but I sing it anyways, you know? <laughs> and I think that's hilarious. Growing up with an immigrant father, in this case from Spain, I was curious how Jorge identified culturally. Do you identify more with the Dominican or with Spain? I never really felt like I, I like identified as a Spanish, like, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Like I, I felt like I, I, like I've always been Dominican, but I am aware of some cultural differences and I don't know if I'm not like a very rigid person. So I just kind of, I don't know, take the ideas and see kind of what were, would work in like a day to day basis, because a lot of times like. I feel the Dominican culture is pretty laid back and you could think that Europeans are probably a little bit more kind of stiff or rigid in their way of living. And it's just something that wouldn't work if you're like, try to be like, you know, completely Spanish and Dominican. That's the thing. Like I, I was also in, for the most part in a Dominican environment. So, I mean, even though I had the influence, it wasn't like a straw, you know, continuous exposure to that Spanish culture. What I also find very interesting is that different Latin American countries, we all have like difficulties. I feel like growing up or like some challenges that maybe, I don't know, in America, you don't have it or lack of resources or things like that. And I feel like we all have that familiarity. So it's like, we kind of make it funny when something bad is happening. <laughs> I guess that's like our way of coping with it. I think that's very, like, it makes it kind of normal and it makes it so that people are happy with whatever they have in a way. That's one thing that I find very valuable about the Latin American culture that a lot of times feel like we complain about the government. We complain that there's no, not enough resources to do whatever in the country, either like education or safety in the streets, police and stuff like that. We just kind of have a laid back position and it's sometimes funny and like the, some things, for example, like safety, just walking on the streets and things like that, that I guess some tourists or Americans would find like super scary to do in like certain countries. And we're just like, eh, that's fine. I don't know if that sense of security comes from at least knowing the language or really knowing kind of the background when we are in our home countries, but it's. It is kind of funny because you have to like tell people like that. I don't think it's like really unsafe to do things like that, but I guess we're used to it. And also I feel like it, it doesn't matter like where you go or where you come from, but like, I feel like there's unsafe places in 
any major city or a small city. There's just places you don't go to. Coming from a mid to upper economic level, aside from the occasional blackouts, why would Jorge leave his homeland? I think just looking for an opportunity to get better professionally, like develop a career and stuff like that. I'm a physician. So after we're done with high school, we don't have college or like an undergrad degree in the Dominican. So you go straight to med school, which is a little different from here because I feel like when you're done with everything, you're still like a relatively very young person. For some people, shocking here that you're here and you're like a kid and you're like, hey, I'm a doctor, you know. But pretty much looking for the opportunity in the Dominican Republic, I feel like even as a physician, but different professions, it doesn't really matter. Some people don't make, let's say enough money or like would have to work like double or triple of what normal you would have to work in a country like this to have like a good quality of life. I remember just having like two, three different jobs. My dad, for example, is a manager at a supermarket and he has always worked like 12 hour shifts or like six days a week on average. It, it pays off, but it's a lot of work when you think about it constantly and you don't get like a good break. Studying medicine there and also working a little bit, you would notice that some doctors would have to go to like three different hospitals in the same day to just make a living. And even now I go back and I feel like with how things are with the economics and inflation and expenses and everything, and you hear what people make down there and it's like, I don't even know how you, how you guys do it. Like between paying rent and transportation and food. And if you have a family, then how do you do that? It's just really bad with how you make money there. But I honestly, my, my first thought was to go to Spain because being Spanish, it was a lot easier to just go there, do my training. In Spain, it would have been a lot easier. It's just the legal status to like, here I have a visa and that's like something that puts some pressure on you. Also coming to the States, I feel in general is a lot more difficult if you don't have citizenship or your residency or whatever. So I just took the challenge because I thought that coming to the States would at the end of the day, open up more doors for me professionally in my career. And if I, let's say, pursued a career here, then I would be able to really work anywhere in the world if I ended up leaving at some point in the future, um, where I feel like in Spain, I, I don't know if I had those options. So I don't know. I was also very young and I feel like when you have to make a decision, it's so early in life. It's like, I don't know, you kind of roll with it. <laughs> I feel like even today, like putting the responsibility of choosing a career and I was 17 when I finished high school to, you know, like start med school. It's like a lot. So I don't know, things back then didn't seem like too difficult. It was just like, oh, I don't know. It just kind of makes sense to go mm. to the States. Jorge completed med school in the Dominican Republic. Despite having dual citizenship with the Dominican Republic and Spain, Jorge decided to do his residency in the United States. I think in Spain, like they were having like a financial crisis or something at the moment. And there was like some concerns about it, like, how would that look like in the future? You know, those were like some of the things that I was thinking about. I feel like in this country, there's a lot of opportunities, not just for job. Like it's, it's almost certain you would find a job here. I think in healthcare in general, there's always good opportunities, no matter the country. But I do think that in the States particularly, you get 
paid very well. To be honest, I feel like at some point I would even move to Europe because I really love the European Union in general, like all the countries and all that side of the world to me is like amazing. And I think even quality of life sometimes, at least the lifestyle they have with the work culture and like people just taking a break every now and then. And even if you want to have like a, like lunchtime and you're like, okay, you're not working. You're like take an hour off and you're just like relax. And this is my time to just eat and they'll go back to work. And they even have like even longer breaks. Some stores or stuff were closed like for three hours in the middle of the afternoon and then you just go back to work. And it's just like, I don't know, more relaxed in that sense. But th those are things that would really make me think about moving there someday. But for now, I'll be here for a while. You mentioned being on a visa. What's that like for you? It's a very long process. And I think that's something that some people find frustrating. I think it's also a great opportunity. If you didn't have it, then you wouldn't be able to come here really. It's, it's a little frustrating because you have to be thinking about it, like renewing it every year. You have to go back to your home country and get the whole process done, which sometimes is a challenge because the, the only time you can do it is when you get vacations. And so if you're working all the time and the only time you have off, you have to spend it doing some legal thing or paperwork, then it's a little frustrating. And there's always the thought of like, what if there is some issue with it? What if it doesn't, what if I don't get the visa on time? Like I can't get back to work and then I have like another issue happening at the hospital or what if there's a pandemic in the middle? Like I can't even go back to my home country and what's going to happen with my training? Am I going to get in trouble and things like that? I think those are a lot of the stressors. And you have to be traveling with all your paperwork and what if you lose some of that stuff? And it's just, that's the hassle of having that. But it also gives you the opportunity to be here. And I think it's great. But it's just, you know, something that's in the background. On the surface, it seemed like Jorge was on a fast track. But as I listened to his story, I got the sense that he picked up his dad's work ethic. Not only did he complete med school right after high school, he also studied English medical textbooks alongside a Spanish curriculum in order to prepare for standard U.S. entrance exams. I realized that there really wasn't any kind of shortcut. He just kept making good decisions. For medical school, at least, I mean, it has to be like a school that's recognized in the United States, but it's not like you need to do some extra training for like your medical school if it's already recognized. What everybody has to do, if you're a foreigner or even if you're a national U.S. medical student, is take several exams for licensing in the States. So that's pretty standardized. What is a little challenging being from the outside is that the way that we are taught medicine or the way that we are prepared to take this exam, because not all countries have the same system. I feel like in the States, they already like kind of drill into your mind, like you're going to take this exam and this is how we're going to train you. So every test that you take is kind of standardized to be in that format, so to speak. And I feel like coming from a different country, you have to get accustomed to that. Some people have issues with language. For me, I was lucky. I feel like since I was a kid, I've always been exposed to English. So I didn't really have major issues with that, but it can be a real challenge if you're not familiar, especially if it's like technical language, you know, medical language. It is also a challenge because it's very expensive. So a lot of people have to make 
big sacrifices to just get these exams done and to start an application process for interviewing and traveling to like different places and interviews. Like when I had to apply in the beginning, where you have to go to every hospital that you would apply to, to start your residency. I feel like nowadays that's kind of come down because I feel like after the pandemic, more people are doing virtual interviews and you don't have to like spend so much money in just traveling or time. Now deep into his residency at a hospital, what are some of his observations as he encounters other aspiring physicians with different backgrounds? I feel that as foreigners, we are in a way obligated to kind of overdo to be at the same level of like an American candidate. For example, when the time comes to get picked for a spot, some programs don't even offer positions for international graduates. So it kind of makes it less options for us. And then the fact that, you know, in the tests, there was a scoring system and you kind of have to like overperform to be kind of treated in the same way as, you know, an American candidate sometimes. And I don't know, I feel like I might be a little biased, but I think that it's pretty accurate. And that thing has changed in the last year or two. I feel like in that first exam, which was like very heavy, I had to study for like over a year just to take one test, which is like over 300 questions, eight hours that you're sitting down in front of a computer, but they kind of removed the scoring system and it's just like a pass or fail system. Now, I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing for international graduates, at least because we used to have that as a measuring tool for our performance, like a score, because otherwise what else are American programs going to take as a reference for international people when we feel we're already kind of like, I don't know, struggling to be treated the same way, you know? Just about every profession has its own technical jargon. I can imagine that it could take a year to get used to all the specific vocabulary in a different language. What were some of the strategies that would have used to prepare for this first exam? Me and that group of friends also from medical school, we were very lucky, I have to say, because I think at the time, most people, what the people did was you finish medical school and then you start preparing for these exams. We were lucky in a way that one of my friends, he had a relative that had been preparing for the test and like he's a couple of years ahead of us. His main recommendation for us was to just start studying now while you're in medical school to get ready for this exam, which is what they do here in the States and just don't waste time. It just felt a little weird and unusual because why would you be studying for a test that most people would take at the end of your career? But just follow the advice. And it really paid off because we were able to get ready and get done with all the exams before we were done with medical school and be ready to apply for a program by the time we were done with school. So there was no gap in our training. But to answer your question, I feel like for the most part, we were studying in English, even though classes were in Spanish. Cause I mean, we were in the Spanish program in my medical school, but every book we read was in English mainly because these tell us that when you translate a book from English to Spanish, it may take a couple of years to actually update everything from one edition to the other. So that's kind of what we had as a reference. And they just was like, oh, we just, just study in English. And then to prepare for these exams, you have to take some courses and stuff. And those were all in English. So really all the exposure was in English. I feel like taking the classes in Spanish would help 
because that's your day-to-day stuff, but also naming the technicalities, you would be more familiar because you're also kind of listening to both things at the same time. So I think that that was really helpful. I wasn't clear about Jorge's comments about how physicians in the Dominican Republic have to work harder. I would think that the cost of living would be less and that things would just balance out. So I asked Jorge to dive into that a little bit deeper. That's the thing. Like, I don't know that it's necessarily less for the same, like, standard of living. I just recently had a conversation with some friends that were talking about this. I just came back from a trip in Argentina and over there, like, the the country is, like, in a financial crisis. Like, inflation is insane. And we were talking about that. Like, this city looks like it's in great shape. Like, it's, it, it almost looks like a European, you know, any country, big city. Like everything works, it's humongous. There's so many options and you still see a lot of people on the streets going out, having dinner and going to shows and events and things like that. And you're like, how if like they're in such a bad shape? I think that's the kind of similar in the Dominican. I feel like there's some areas that are really, really poor. I feel like some family members may not work and maybe they're able to take care of the kids or children, but I honestly, I. I have no idea because I go back and just like going out or like paying for gas in the car and and stuff like that. It's just like really expensive for someone who would make like minimum wage in the Dominican Republic. So in my mind, it's like, I, I don't know how people do it. Like uh, maybe like a lot of people really don't have access to that. And, you know, I'm just going back to my country as a tourist, which is different too. But even living there, like I look back and I'm like, you know, we were really privileged. We never had to worry about any of this, thankfully, because of my parents working and stuff. I think that in the States, you do make a lot more money and cost of living. It probably is a lot more expensive, but it does make up for the amount of money that you make. Um, so in a way is thing more sustainable were affordable. My parents paid for tuition and everything. I didn't have to worry about any of that. I didn't have to get any loans. So I didn't really end up having any debts and stuff. Coming here to the States, you would hear like other American colleagues and stuff, like they do have those things and they're like very heavy debt, you know, going to medical school and people with like over 200K or 500K just for like education. And I'm here just like, wow. I'm lucky to not have that. It's kind of weird to see because you hear a lot of people getting debt and loans and stuff like that, yet they still want to keep the standard of living where they want to do everything and live this life that it's either glamorous or like going out or like never stopping. Where I feel that maybe in the Dominican or in Spain, like people don't really think about it that way. People try to save and make ends meet or just don't get in debt. If you can't afford it, just don't do it, you know? So I feel like that's a very different way of thinking. I do have to say that it's, that's a little shocking to me, like how expensive education is here. And it makes me feel like privileged to not really have to worry about that. What else surprised Ode when he first came to the U.S.? Something that comes to mind is when I got here that everybody feels like overly nice, like super nice, which is something that we're not used to. I think like everyone's like, oh, please do this and that, or like, thank you for this, or Jesus said whatever. And they're like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
you know, everyone's like trying to be smiley and like happy about everything and cheerful. And then, but all of a sudden, like they start complaining about like a million things and you're like, we're in the American. And I think it's Spain too. Like people are very straightforward, like black and white, like, you know, I don't have to be happy all the time. I don't have to be cheerful all the time. It's like, can you just do this? And that's it. Like, I don't know. I no, that was very shocking. And I think it's funny because when you get here and people are like that, you're like, why are you being so nice? Are you actually nice? Because it's like honest or is it's like sarcasm or like, you just feel weird. But then you get used to it because I feel like I do that a lot now. And I feel like sometimes my brain switches like English, but like talking Spanish or English, like the personality a little bit, but I do feel like I do that a lot now. I guess with over time, you just get used to it. But that was like very shocking. I feel like other than that, Miami is like Latin America. I don't think Miami is necessarily the United States. So the change in culture wasn't really big. And we were like talking in Spanish, like most of the day with everyone, even at the hospital, like patients and the staff and everybody who works there. I mean, you do have to speak English, obviously, but it, it didn't feel like a, such, such a huge gap in the cultural side. Even like going out with friends in the, it doesn't matter which country or Latin American country they were from, like you would still feel at home in, in some way. And I spent three years there and then I moved to Phoenix in Arizona, which is very different, obviously culturally. I think that was different at work, at least like it's not as easy going, I feel like, well, the hospital was, I was at also was like very, very formal, like professional and people also like playing by the rules and, oh, we can't do this. We can't do that. We can't, we can't say this or that, do that or behave in certain ways. I feel like in Miami, everyone's just doing their thing and nobody is like so uptight about anything. So that was like a little strange to me because I felt like I was like inhibited in a way, like my Latin American side was like. <laughs> you know, backed up a little bit, but still, I felt like I, I would just be myself or like people would actually appreciate it because it's like a little bit more relaxed and like people like that difference and it kind of makes you more approachable. I feel when you're more like relaxed and laid back and I don't know, I, I think it's a good mix to have both things. Just make sure you're not doing anything crazy, obviously, but also kind of be as, you know, Relax. On the topic of niceties, one cultural difference that I had to deal with was being direct. In my family, the way we asked for things was by telling. For example, I might say, give me a spoon, instead of, would you please hand me a, a spoon if it's no trouble? The tone and the relationship would imply the request. Jorge talks about a similar experience. Sometimes people would like tell you to do something, but they do it like asking you, like, do you want to go to this? department and talk to these people in my mind, I'm like, I don't really want to do it. Uh, so you say no. And, and they're like, no, but do you want to go? And like, so they're like telling you to go, but like, they're not, they're asking you. You're like, so why don't you just tell me to go and do it? So that's like <laughs> very different. It reminds me of maybe a conversation with my wife, like on a Saturday, right? Where she'll ask me, do you want to go to the furniture store? And I'll say, do I want to go? No but I'll go if you want me to go. I know. It's like, are you, are you really asking me or are you just telling me to do it? 
right. and she knows like don't ask me a question that you don't want the answer to because i'll tell you i know and then if you like really say no and that just dogs like a situation and you're like i don't know i thought it was just a question exactly i asked Jorge the time machine question if he could go back in time and talk to a younger version of himself what would he tell him and when it's crazy but i would probably just uh, myself, like 10 years ago, I would like, everything will be okay. Everything that you've done is probably worth it. Cause I feel like I was saying to prepare, to come to the States, there's like a lot of things in your mind that you're like, oh my God, I gotta do this. I gotta be in this like kind of group doing whatever X and Y. So I can like build up my resume or like make sure everything's on time, doing like 3 million things at once. So you just like prepare enough to get what you want in the future or like studying and you know, what you're thinking, what would people want from me in a program or like when you're interviewing, you're like, oh my God, what am I going to say? What should I say? It's like the right answer. Is there a right answer? You just don't know. Like culturally things are so different. It's also like in a way, like you're applying for a job or position and I look back and I tell myself, I mean, it was probably worth it everything that you do, everything you sacrifice, all the hard work and everything. So it's probably right to do it. Sometimes you kind of like second guess about, was it right that I ever do it? Was this stressful? But I think at the end of the day, it does work out for you. And I feel like as far as the interview process and everything, like I've had to interview people now where, you know, where I stand today or like a few years back and just being on this side of things it's just i see people and they're like so nervous it's just like sometimes it's weird i'm like just be more natural we just want to make sure that you're like an okay to person to work with and if you're here probably it's because you've already done so much and you, we do think you're a good candidate we just want to make sure that you're a normal person so those are a lot of the things that i feel even though the people that would advise us during this whole process would tell you but it's one of those things that until you live the process, you really don't know. Or when you're a kid and people tell you, oh, you need to do this, or don't worry about this, or you need to do this and that, so you're ready for X and Y, and you're just like, yeah, 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 to your parents or whatever. And then when the time comes, you're like 20 years older, and you're like, oh, that makes sense. I asked Jorge the same question in Spanish. If he could go back to a younger version of himself, what he would tell him? Bueno, yo le diría eso, como que no se preocupara. Eh, que todo va a salir bien, que realmente todo el esfuerzo que uno hace eh, se paga en el futuro y, y que tiene su crédito. Eh, yo siento también que no solo a nivel profesional, pero, o sea, como persona y a nivel emocional y todas esas cosas, porque imagínate, la vida es muy complicada y uno tiene muchas cosas en la cabeza todo el tiempo, pero... Hay momentos en la vida que también uno se siente o muy estresado o triste por algún tema u otro y que en esos momentos uno como que no ve bien claro el futuro o como que pierde esperanza sobre algún tipo de cosa o si tienes algún fallo, como tú crees a veces que eso es, eh, no sé, como que te puede provocar una barrera en el futuro y no sé si que a veces uno es muy perfeccionista con uno mismo, pero... Eh, Yo diría como que eso son, que está normal, es normal como que esas cosas pasen. O sea, todo el mundo le pasan 20 mil cosas en su vida y que simplemente eh, hay que echar para adelante con lo que uno tiene y puede. 
eh, que uno no se puede dejar estancar con ese tipo de experiencias que uno cree en el momento que son frustrantes y si no sacar dentro o el lado positivo de todas las cosas para seguir echando para adelante porque yo creo que al final del día todo el mundo tiene algo con lo que carga y, y uno tiene como que trabajar en equipo con todo el que lo rodea para llegar a un fin eh, y creo que eso también viene con la madurez eh, de uno porque cuando uno es más joven como que uno no piensa mucho en esas cosas o si sí trata de pensarlo pero como dije, no tiene mucho sentido necesariamente. Eh, y eso, como que simplemente las cosas mejoran y si uno se, se esfuerza con todo en la vida, en diferentes ámbitos, pues todo se soluciona. Y también que es importante disfrutar de la vida como tal y aprovechar todos los momentos, no solo eh, o sea, tu educación y eso, pero con tus seres queridos, con tus amigos, tus familiares, porque hay mucha gente que tú no sabes cuándo tú vas a volver a ver y ese tipo de cosas. Y es como que simplemente aprovechar el momento y vivir la vida lo mejor que se puede, que es lo, lo, lo que uno busca realmente. Switching gears, I asked Jorge if there was any particular food that he missed from the Dominican Republic. Ay, claro que sí. Allá, hoy estaba hablando de eso con alguien porque un compañero de trabajo me dijo que su, su comprometida está allá por una conferencia. En Santiago me dijo, mira que ella me dijo que se comió una salchicha, una longaniza. Y yo dije, bueno, no sé si es un salami o qué, qué lo que, pero eh, parece que era una longaniza. Y que comió mangú y con salami, huevo frito, aguacate y eso. El mango con los tres golpes es, es algo increíble. Aquí donde yo vivo, porque ahora mismo yo vivo en Luisiana, es una ciudad, es un pueblo muy pequeño de Luisiana. Entonces para mí esto fue un cambio, sí, esto fue un cambio cultural grande. Eh, pero yo tengo mucha flexibilidad en mi horario y yo busco la forma de que eso funcione. Pero aquí no aparecen plátanos todos los días, aquí no aparece salami, eh, no hay mucha comunidad latina. Si sí, hay como uno que otro restaurante de Honduras o El Salvador y cosas así, eh, que tienen arroz y habichuelas, o sea, frijoles y carne, ya sea guisada o cosas de ese tipo, que, que también le hacen falta unos días. El, en el día a día. Y a veces yo pienso como que, bueno, no sé si es bueno incluso comer esas cosas todos los días, porque tú lo piensas como que, wow, eso tiene mucho carbohidrato, muchas cosas fritas, y tú dices, wow, yo no sé cómo sobrevivir. Y aquí yo trato de comer un poco más saludable, pero de vez en cuando no quiere darse, sabe, cuánto una cosa. My mouth started watering here in Jorge, run through all the Caribbean and tropical foods, like plantains, Mangoes, avocados, sausages, salami with fried eggs, black beans, stewed beef. The list goes on and on. It really took me back. However, currently living in rural Louisiana, Jorge doesn't have a daily supply of plantains, unfortunately. He also misses Spanish food. I do also miss a lot of food from Spain because I, I just love it. Manchero. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. Oh like my God. Oh, those. I'll tell you what though. In Spain, you go to any bar. Like they all smoke, right? And you go to the bar and you look up and all the hams are hanging yeah. in the bar and they're being like all the cigarette smoke and they just pull them down and slice them and you eat them. And it's like, gosh, how much cigarette smoke is on this ham? But it tastes... Oh my God. I, just, I don't even think you worry about it. And also the, like how that is made, it's a lot of smoke. I don't know. That, that's so good. That's one of the things I don't really care. It doesn't matter if it kills me. Yeah, that and the wine, like it tastes so different. No headache? 
it's amazing. I was talking about that, that like today, someone from work again, who just came from a trip from Italy and she said the same thing. I'm like, I don't know, like the wine there is just like no hangover. It doesn't make me feel bad. Like I have to be taking ibuprofen and Tylenol, like almost every day here when I'm working, just like stress from work and like sleep deprived and like just being on the go every day. Or if you drink like one glass of wine here, just like, oh my God, I can't live yeah. with myself for the next day. But over there, that doesn't happen. The one thing that I do miss a lot is the sweet plantains though from the Dominican. I like all the things you can do with plantain in general. Yeah. Well, in Miami, you got all that stuff. I'm going to Miami this next weekend, so I'm looking forward to that. When we got on the topic of music, I asked Jorge, what music comes to mind when he thinks of the Dominican Republic? I feel like El Niagara Bicicleta is a song that most people would agree. Either that, de Juan Luis Guerra. O la Billy Rubino. So la primera se llama El Niagara en Bicicleta. Niagara. Like Niagara Falls, I feel like that's what it comes from. But it, it just means like all the hardship that you have to go through. It's like about a person who ends up in a hospital and all like all the hardship that you actually get in healthcare, that you don't have access to anything. There's no medications, there's nothing available. And you just have to like hope for the best. So I feel like being a doctor and having training with the Dominican Republic, like I, I really feel what that song means but it's also beautiful and it's a merengue so what i think about the genre in general is merengue bachata those are the things that come to mind when i think about the Dominican republic and juan luis guerra would be probably the person that i would say really represents the more modern kind of merengue songs that one in La Bili Rubina is another song that just by listening to it, you almost feel like you want to cry because of the things that it reminds you of. Even though like some things are like very difficult, it's a very cheerful song and like people dance a lot to it. So it just really reminds me of how simple things like that can make you happy, at least for the moment, just by listening to a song, you know, and that's something that really lags here, especially like there where I am, because there's not a big Latin community. And with Latin music, there's Latin dancing. That's one thing that I find really interesting too. Like if you go out dancing here, it's like different. I feel like some people would think or feel like you're trying to hit on them just because you want to dance. But I feel like in our countries, you just dance for fun and you dance with everybody. You dance with your friends, your family, and you're just like trying to enjoy the moment where here, sometimes you're like, oh, I just want to dance. Like whoever, let's dance. But some people then think you're like trying to hit on them and you're like, this is weird. You mentioned to Jorge some experiences I had going to like salsa dancing and how dancing with Americans is a little bit different than dancing with folks from Latin America. It seemed like the folks from the United States had very choreographed steps that they went through, whereas the folks from Latin America just kind of followed the music. Because I think here, the way they dance is also different. It's more, you know, there's like certain steps you got to take, or they do like a New York style or like LA style salsa, which is like step on one, step on two. And there's like these rules, which is actually very nice. Like I, I did learn how to dance like that, but in, in the Dominican, you don't, you're just like going with the flow and just like more like street salsa kind of thing. And so it's like more, like more freedom when you're dancing. So I, that's also a little different too, because if you try and go out, even if it's like a club where there's like a lot of people dancing salsa, they kind of dance in a structured way here. And if you like try to break that pattern, then it gets a little weird if people are not used to it. 
<laughs> what advice or parting words does Hillary have to share regarding his journey? One thing that comes to mind is that a lot of people are scared of change. You know, when moving to one country to another, that's understandable, especially if you don't know anybody in the other country or you don't have family or friends to kind of support you. So I would probably encourage people to, if they're like trying to move to a different place or just change any position in life, you know, moving from either in the States, like going from one state to the other or a different city or you gotta find a new job or you're not happy with what you're doing this moment in your life. I think like change is scary, but a lot of times change can bring a lot of good things. So for, I know for anyone who has doubts or is kind of scared or is just looking for a better opportunity in life, I would say just follow your dreams and accept the change, embrace it. And people do it all the time. It is scary, but at the end of the day, it makes you grow as a person and just opens like a whole new world of possibilities to how you can live your life, I think. Some people fear change, some embrace it. What advice does Jorge offer? I really do hope it helps because I know people that are stuck and at some point in their life and with the decision of like changing something. And from my eyes, it's like, okay, but just do it. Like, just go ahead and do it. Or like somewhere, someone's offering you an opportunity I mean, you never know. Just, I mean, most of the time if you say yes and you're like, you know, see what happens. It's something you really don't want to do, but I'm kind of open in that way that I, I do want to open myself to new opportunities and what other people have to offer and share because everybody lives like a different life. And I feel like knowing different people from different backgrounds just opens up your mind to different perspectives and how can you be better every day with anything that you do, you know? Hearing Hoda's story, I'm picking up on making decisions with intent. I'm also learning how avoiding common missteps can make a big difference. For example, avoiding the pitfalls of student loan debt and even avoiding complacency. Hoda could have simply completed med school like everyone else and tried to take a year off to relearn everything in English. Instead, he chose to go ahead and do it the hard way. Good decision-making coupled with being open to opportunities has been working well for ordering. Yeah, I always have a goal in mind. When I was in Miami and Phoenix, I was doing my training. So those places, you do have some way of an option to choose, but you don't really have 100% the decision to go where you want. And even now where I am, I'm in Louisiana. It's a very small town in the north of the state. And what I'm doing now is because I'm done with my training and I was on a specific visa for education that once you're done with that visa, then you're supposed to go back to your home country, or you can work in an underserved community for three years. And that's what I'm doing now. So the job that I have is in an underserved area. To be honest, it's not like the place where I would want to live forever. So I'm just trying to get that done so I can get a green car and then I can go whatever I want, do whatever I want with my life. Even though some things are not a hundred percent what you want, you can still try to make the best out of it. When I was in Phoenix, I didn't have like my family there, but I did have some friends that felt like family, but you kind of just take the best out of each place that you're at and make, you know, the best that you can. Cause when I was there, I was very lucky. I loved the outdoors and 
I used to spend like every weekend that I was off, just I would drive off. The mountains are like right there in the city. So I just go on a weekend and I find that very relaxing. It's also good like for your physical activity and everything. And that was a part of me that I missed so much just in the Dominican. Cause I used to do that. Was it like a boy scout thing when I was in middle school, high school. And in Miami, there's, I mean, no mountains or anything. So for those three years, like I just like put that part of my life aside. I feel like taking the opportunity to live in a different place and getting to know everything that it offers is just great. And here too, I mean, people around here, they like to like fish and hunt and there's some like trails, but it's pretty flat. So, I mean, if you're into that, I'm not, but if you are into that, there's also a lot of things to do. And the swamp here, I think it's beautiful. People are really nice and they, you know, they have the Southern hospitality and they have completely different food from the rest of the country. So I think it's just each place has its beauty. And if there's something you don't like, then if you can't change it, find a way to make it work because you just can't change it. And if you can't change it, then make a change. Jorge, you shared some great insights and I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And again, like, I really hope this helps and thank you for the opportunity too. So in the Dominican, how do you say goodbye? Do you normally just say hasta luego, chao? What do you normally say? Yo digo bye. Well, muchísimas gracias, Jorge. I really appreciate your time. Bye. Sí, gracias a ti por la oportunidad. Y bueno, aquí estamos. Listening to Jorge's advice regarding change made me think about the purpose of this show. I created this show to capture personal stories as a way to provide inspiration to others who might be going through or contemplating similar changes. What I'm learning as I interview people from all over the world is that many factors are universal. Jorge highlights that change of any kind can be scary, but that it's a reality of life. And even in the face of uncertainty, there can be joy. I'd like to end this episode with la bili rubina, meaning bilirubin in English, which is an enzyme produced by the liver. Despite all the medical references, it's a fun love song that really makes me want to get up and dance. I hope you enjoy it. For more information about this show, visit www.immigrantsjourneys.fm.